0: Hi there, and welcome to the Interiors Podcast with Tanya Newfeld Flanagan. This show is all about informing and inspiring Irish homeowners and buyers on all things around property, house and home, from self-building to choosing flooring. In each episode, we interview industry experts and homeowners to give you practical advice and the motivation to create and elevate your spaces. Welcome to the Interiors podcast. I'm Tanya Neufeld, your host. This is episode eight, and we are speaking to architect Graham O'Sullivan today. Welcome, Graham, and thank you for being here.
1: Thanks for the invite. Good opportunity to get a few ideas out there, maybe help a few people along the way. So
0: You're the first architect on the podcast, and a lot of times when people are facing the housing crisis that Ireland finds itself in, They find themselves in a time crunch and it's the time when people wish they could speak to everything from a builder, a surveyor, an architect in a short space of time. And a lot of times, you know, people are looking at the market and they're like, this is crazy. Things are so expensive. Construction is so expensive. So what I'm really interested in hearing about is your own experience and knowledge of converting commercial property into residential. Before we get into that though, Please tell us a little bit about your career. I know you've been an architect for twenty years, and you know your own philosophy as an architect.
1: Twenty years. Let's see, when you say I've been an architect for twenty years, it, it makes me feel old. But um,
2: <laughs> you're I, a spring I, chicken.
1: I, <laughs> I feel, no, it's, it's actually it's actually nineteen years.
2: Nineteen. Right, so it's sorry. not
1: that old. It's not that. Your career I'm not that old. is
0: still a teenager. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> No, I started I started architecture in 1996, so that was when I started in DIT Bolton Street, which is now TUD, Technical University Dublin, yep. so I for six years, on and off, took a year out in the middle of it, so I qualified in 2002, started my professional career in 2003, in, uh, my first job was in Galway, a company called Sean Dockery and Associates, it was boom time, so it was busy. Celtic I, Tiger built. <laughs> Celtic Tiger, that's it. That's what we did. We did Celtic Tiger. We did very, or we started to do an awful lot very quickly and it disappeared um, along the way. But we were working on multiple projects around Galway City generally and, and the outer towns, busy practice led by a husband and wife team. So it was, it was an interesting, it was an interesting time. So you have to do a minimum period of professional development after you qualify. So that's, um, okay. that's usually minimum of three, three, four years is what they look at. At that stage, okay. most people are getting enough experience in um, designing and building. In addition to the five years, that minimum five years that you did at the time in college to get a, a bachelor's degree, then you had to do minimum of three years after that to get a professional practice recognition, which is the Royal Institute of Architects in Ireland, or RIAI. And I... I I graduated or I I, I passed there. I was accepted to the Institute in 2007. So I've been a professional architect since 2007. So that's what, 15 years? 15 years.
0: Yes, 15
1: years. We're getting
0: younger and younger. Exactly. (laughs) So So, with Galway, you kind of had a bit of a baptism of fire. People were building a lot. So you had a lot of experience. Was it both residential, commercial?
1: It was residential, commercial. Commercial office and mixed use retail. Okay, bit of everything. Re- yeah, yeah. So there was like uh, one of the big projects was um, plan for more Town Centre, which was complete mm-hmm. redevelopment of more, which was new squares and streets and boulevards and fronts, uh promenades and stuff. Like that. Never so happened. city planning never happened, but we did it. Yeah, that was with uh, that was led by Sean in 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 Dockeries and the team down there. That was a baptism of fire. That was all hands on deck, getting yeah. schemes together and stuff like that. Multiple residential developments around Galway City and and the outer suburbs and the outer and the, and the inner towns. Towns close by and small commercial developments, stuff like that. So it was it was really formative, informative as well as formative as, as mm. my career as an architect. So on the back of that, then so was that two thousand seven. So two thousand seven, I then moved to London and I was in London. Uh, working for a couple of small practices, and then working for a larger practice called RHWL, which has now been bought out by ADAS Architects, mm-hmm. who are a various Chinese centred company, multiple offices around the world. But they bought out uh, RHWL and our team at the
2: time. So
0: okay, and so you moved to to London right before the the Great Recession. What was that like? Than moving you know going from Galway not even Dublin a, a much smaller city to London and tackling building you know after the crash
1: you know London is it's a lot of it's a lot of small towns in one big mm. city so it's all it's all neighborhoods yeah. you know so you move somewhere you live there we lived in Hackney Central around Hackney Central and so you have Hackney Central but then adjacent to that you have Dalston and adjacent to that you have hoxton and just down the road you have london fields you know so there are all these series mm-hmm. of small neighborhoods where everything is like they talk about the 10 minute city and stuff like that you know or the, or the 10 minute neighborhood or 10 minute village or whatever way the, the current phrasing of it is like you know everything is close by so you can walk everywhere you can cycle everywhere and 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 london is very much like that there's a whole series of small towns which are massive conurbation of, of london city but you can actually live in a in a neighborhood quite comfortably without actually going mm. anywhere. So I found that, I found that fine. Like, you know, you're you're, you're part of a bigger thing, but you're living in a local area and that's like you know, transplant go away in there. And it's hacking, you know, it's not even hacking. It's one neighborhood hack. So that was, that was fine. The projects then, as you were getting out there, just stepped up and scaled in after that. So I was working on a couple of, a couple of large projects. I was working in a subset of RHWL called Arts Team. An arts team or a well-established uh, specialist practice which dealt with uh, arts buildings. so oh wow theaters, concert halls, multi-use spaces for for, mm. for the arts
0: So they're really non-typical buildings that mm. have even within the the fabric of the building itself it's going to be a piece of art people will come to it almost for the building as much as what they're going to see.
1: everything about it was and, and especially when you look at the say the West End, I didn't get to work on one, but but historically our Team would have worked on a lot of Cameron Macintosh West End theaters and other clients of that out. Uh, uh, Live Nation was another one that we started working with in in, in the uh, regional cities. For example, they were buying out and renovating theaters in regional cities. Cam Mac was the was probably the big ones that we did in the West End and the Victorian theaters in particular, um, which is when there was a massive boom in in the in the establishment and the building of these was all about outdoing your neighbor so it had to be more spectacular everything about it had to be spectacular you know? <laughs> like it started at the facade of the building the facade of the building spectacular go around the side or go around the back and you could be in an industrial unit in,
2: victorian, yeah. <laughs>
1: in any victorian city you know but the front of it had to be spectacular and when you walked into the lobby in the foyer had to be spectacular, and as you walked to your seats, the steps and the stairs and the journey had to be spectacular. And then when you're in the theater, the space had to be spectacular. And go to say yeah. spectacular. Like, you had to have that one-upmanship. You had to be in there and you had to be in awe. And for a lot of probably more middle class rather than lower class or or, or upper class members of London society, it was all about the, it was all about the sell, like you know. So, yeah. and it was all about that one-upmanship. Now you had. Yeah, you, had, you already had the opera house. And you already had the, the, or you were about to have the um, great exhibition buildings down in, in Kensington. You know they were on the way. They weren't for the people. They were for the, the gentry. So yeah. they were used to going to the opera. But the, the middle class and, and the upper and the and the upper lower class working class going to these places, it was all about how, how beautiful the place was and how
2: yeah. it's, how
1: much, it's interesting. how much it inspired you.
0: What we're going to talk about is commercial property in Ireland and converting it. And it's interesting that your career, as we go backwards and we look at your career and looking at commercial spaces, it's not enough to be like, okay, well, this was a theater, you know, in in this context, I'm going to convert it to a home. You have to know so much about why and how that space was designed, Mm -hmm. with what intent and who was going to use it to understand what, like how to respectfully restore or not. Um, so that's just really interesting to think about because usually people are just thinking of converting a commercial space as a hack, but maybe there's something to be learned from what the space originally was, so it doesn't just become like a blank canvas. Uh,
1: and and the thing about these theaters and and then became cinemas when cinemas mm. became popular, and then became bars when cinemas huh. died off. So you have weather spoons and all, like you know, yeah. if, if 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 the <laughs> cinema didn't work. It became a Wetherspoons because Wetherspoons yeah. bought all <laughs> these out cheap, you know. So it's oh. kind of which is which is where crazy.
0: old theaters go to die. Wetherspoons. Uh, <laughs> you
1: know, the thing about it is, and 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 it's a, it's a big thing at the moment. The carbon footprint of the building, the amount of mm, the amount of energy energy, whether it's whether it's energy from making bricks or or forging metals or yeah, the, the creative energy that goes into it as well, which is which is often forgotten about. You know, there's an awful lot of There's an awful lot of blood, sweat and tears that goes into that from the people who built it. And then there's the blood, sweat and tears, which is a lot less blood and a lot less sweat, but probably more tears of the people who designed it, you know. Um, Generally, your your big hairy builder doesn't cry about his building, but the architect might. There's an awful lot of of conversations going on at the moment about your zero carbon buildings and and building new buildings which are zero carbon In in the lifetime of a building your energy is as close to zero as possible. And the energy that goes into it is founded on renewable energy and and stuff like that. In that same milk, currently in in, in, in 2022, we're looking at Mm. the fabric of a building, the embedded carbon in that fabric, and justifying the demolition of old buildings. And old buildings aren't something that's necessarily 100 years old. An old building is something which is 20 years old which has reached its end of life for for offices or for hotels or for like buildings that were designed 20 years ago and the current requirements have changed substantially. Never mind five years ago when there was no such thing as COVID, but 20 years ago in particular, where you have an awful lot of embedded carbon and steel and concrete and all the rest of that. As an architect now, when we are when we are looking at existing sites, for example, for 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 clients who there may be a building there that's 20 or 25 years old. That building has an awful lot of embedded carbon. and If it's in the steel or if it's in the concrete, if it's in the glass, if it's in the aluminium, you know, all these things have, there's a huge amount of carbon intensive energy that goes into that to create those construction materials. So what we have to do now is justify to ourselves and to our client and to the client's funders, to the planners, to society in general why we consider it necessary to demolish that and take mm. out all that or, or or re-release that carbon energy only to build again and double up on what's already there. So,
0: mm. so there's both trying to build new biz- new buildings that are like really efficient, but at the same time, that has an opportunity cost if you're demolishing something there, which also has to be considered in that yeah. equation. I want to come back to this topic of, of uh, the carbon footprint. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you did in London. Um, so you're working at RHWL. And at the same time, personally, yourself and your wife, Steph Sullivan, who's a wonderful interior designer that I'm, I work with, you both bought and renovated and sold some properties. So tell us a little bit about that, because I want to start seeing where your architectural career and your, then your personal projects start to meld, because I think there's a lot to be learned from there um everyone always wants to see what does the architect do with their actual house and then you know we'll get back to to Ireland and what's going on in in the the later 2000s after
1: we'll go back to Hackney Central uh, okay. uh Hackney Central <laughs> where we where we got our first flat together we got it in yeah. um, in a an old georgian t- uh, tenement block or what was a tenement block um, wow. and, and and we got to know the area right? and it, it's it, a lot of it is Going somewhere and knowing what's there. So you can go on to Daft or you can go on to any of those websites and you can have a look at the properties. But actually, when you live there and you walk around, you find Mm. these places. And when we were in London and we were living there, we got to know the neighborhoods. We got to know where the cheap neighborhood was beside the fancy neighborhood.
2: Mm.
1: You know, and and bit by bit, that's how we, that's, I won't say we, I'll say Steph. That's how (laughs) Steph found where we were going to live next. We lived in Hackney Central, which was beside London Fields. London Fields was the place to be, all right, because what happened was down in Hoxton, Hoxton had already been established as and Shoreditch, had already been established. Mm -hmm. Actually, I'll I'll scratch it. Shoreditch had already been established as the place to be, so it was too expensive. So people move a little bit further out, go to Hoxton. Hoxton starts getting too expensive. People move a little bit further out go to London Fields. So then London Fields was on the way up and it was outside our price point. So where's the next place is going to be? The next place is going to be is Dalston. All right. So bit by bit everybody starts moving out as their as their as their price point disappears. All right. And whether that's yeah. buying or renting or whatever the case may be, people start moving further away from where the cool place is. That's the cool place. It's 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 fashion yeah. it's trend. Steph spotted a place in Austin. it was an ex-council 1960s probably 70s maybe ex-council block two-bedroom apartment there it was decent we could move straight in we could live in it and then we could renovate it and small things you know like upgrade the bathroom upgrade the kitchen new floors if they were needed they weren't needed in this It was it was quite good redecoration make it comfortable and sit in there and live in there and Live quite happily in there. Rent a room occasionally, you know, just bit by bit, just getting it comfortable, getting it as a nice place to live.
0: So was that? That was the first purchase, not the flat in the old Victorian, or sorry, no. the old Georgian tenement.
1: No, the old Georgian was a let.
0: Okay, it was. It was. So that five, was your base for, for base, the for the search
1: to find out where every to find out where the next place was.
0: Ah, mm-hmm. Very cool. I like so, that. So being really intentional about the places you want to be, and like even if you can't live there spending time there and starting to see like, oh, if you turn down that road, you're basically in that neighborhood instead of just thinking, oh, if I move to Ranla, I'm going to be happy. No, spend some time around there. What's to the north? What's to the west? What's to the south? Okay, I like this. And, okay. And in, in,
1: in London, that was one side of a road or another. Yeah. Or the other side of a train track. You know, yeah. it, was, it was down to the postcode, all right, more or less. But it was essentially down to a road that said, this side of the road is London Fields. That side of the road is Dalston. And and I think that was Amherst Road, I think was the road that that was. You you just go 10 minutes further up the road and you end up in this other neighborhood, which is close to everywhere you want to be, what you want to be doing. You want to be in London Fields. You want to be in the park. You want to be down the market. You want to be meeting your friends there and all the rest. And you're only that little bit further away. But what it meant was you could get something that you could afford. Yeah. And when you can afford it, you get in there and you buy it. And then you sit on it. And what we did and what a lot of people do is you sit on it for a few years, you live in it, comes up in a little bit of value. And then you decide what you're going to do next. You're going to sit there and stay there. You're going to see if you can get somewhere else. So at that stage, we're getting to the age, the age, the early 30s, where you have to decide what do we want to do now? We're we going to settle down. We're we going to have kids. All right. So, two bedroom flat on the second floor of an ex council block in Dalston. Ain't the best place for be raising kids. Yeah. <laughs> right? And there wasn't a hope in hell at that stage that we were going to get a house in that area. So the, the value of the property had come up because of more people moving there, more demands. Yeah. We'd renovated it. We'd put in a few quid. So the value of it moves up. So now we have a, now we have a pot of money. And what are we going to do with that pot of money? And what's the best we can get for that pot of money? So Stephanie, been Stephanie, started to look mm-hmm. around. Where's the next place out? The next place out, was, uh, Clapton. In Clapton, nice area, houses available, fairly big houses. The area was still a bit dodgy, but it was going to be the next place. But you weren't getting a house for the money that we had. So what's the next place out? You go the next step out, you go out beyond Lee Valley, and you end up in Walthamstow. And Walthamstow at that stage was a commuter neighbourhood. End of the Victoria line, well-serviced by the Victoria line. And out there, you could get a two- and a three-bed house for the same price as a two-bedroom flat in an ex-council two-bedroom flat in Dalston. So that was the next step. So it was a big step, but given the commuter distances and the commuter links and all the rest, it wasn't a a massive step. And at the same time, our friends were moving out there as well. They were in the same position. They were in their yeah. early thirties and they were figuring out what they're going to do next. So it's the London way. Bit by bit, you move further and fu- further and further away from the city and 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 closer to good schools and green parks. But Walthamstow was next on the list. So and and we went out there. We found a nice property in the terrace, decent Victorian property, nice place, nice neighbourhood, owned by an Irish gentleman. And that Irish gentleman moved in with his daughter when his wife died six months or a year previously. So we went out, we met the agent and put in our bid and whatever else. And I honestly believe, because we were, we were, we were right on the asking price, and I just have this feeling that this Irish fella heard about an Irish couple <laughs> wanted to move to Walthamstow so that they could buy a family home. I would, as sure as anything, say that he went, you know what? Let's give somebody a leg up.
2: Yeah. I nice. honestly
1: believe that. I think there's I think there's there was something about the Irish community out there and even my own mentality now when, when we're doing things like, you know, give somebody a leg up. All right. Yeah. And I, and I and there was there was no haggling, there was no thing. We gave him the asking price, we told him who we were, and within a couple of weeks he yeah. he'd agreed that it was good to go.
0: It's interesting you mentioned that because I, I I've been hearing something. I think it's the guy with who runs the crazy house prices Instagram account. Somebody like that's been talking about when it's coming to these crazy bidding wars nowadays because there's just a mismatch between supply and demand, it's starting to make a difference who the two last people are and sharing the intentions and trying to get that communicated to the seller like we're a young family and we've done this or we're from here or we love the property because of X and there being this kind of personal connection in the handoff of properties. and you know maybe that's becoming more popular now. Because of the demand, so it's interesting you mentioned that about the the Irish passing the baton in in your neighborhood. <laughs>
1: Historically, you see it all around the world. You see it in America. Yeah. You see it in in Australia. You see it in the UK. The Irish person comes over to get a job with an Irish person. They live with an Irish person. That Irish person introduces it to, to the Irish community and people around you. And I think for probably for that for that gent who went out there, I mean, nineteen thirties, he, he would have been about the same age as my my uncles who lived over there you know so so and and he would have still had that mentality of helping helping the immigrants helping the people coming over on the boat coming over on the plane i honestly believe that that's what happened so anyway we got this property in a bit of time because we had to sell the old one but the old one Mm -hmm. was popular it was it was where for where we were three years previous so it was young couple looking looking for somewhere local looking for somewhere in that area to get started to move in and do the thing. So we sold it on to another young couple, and we moved on, and we moved up to the, we moved up, up and out to <laughs> uh, the, to, to the, to the east side.
0: What state was the property? in? so you said it was a so an end terrace Victorian.
1: It was it was livable. So yeah. there was various little bits and pieces of additions here and there. It was old and musty. It had been lived in, well lived in, and then left dormant. So it was in strip it out, get our furniture in. Because we're not renting somewhere while we're renovating, yeah. So and get in straight away, and we lived in a house with no wallpaper, peeling paint, plaster <laughs> exposed on the walls, yeah, chipping away bit by bit at things that we didn't want. And look, if you're going to, if you're going to spend as much as you can to get the best that you can, you got to realise that you might be living in in a squat for yeah. a while until you can afford to to do something else so we probably lived in in there for a year a year and a half they one bedroom downstairs renovated little bits here and there just made it made it more livable there for a year and a half and then decided to time to renovate the renovations were complete strip out of the house at, at ground floor make everything good replaster new doors and opening up between rooms and new kitchen and breaking out the back and Upgrading the, the the back garden, which was a little bit awkward because the steps and stuff like that.
0: The whole shebang, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. But in this case, it was also within the spaces. Oh yeah, the other thing is, you know that thing that you see on grand designs and um
0: you got pregnant. Yeah. The... yeah, 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 yeah,
2: yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> that was mid project. How convenient. So we got a contractor in. We lived we lived in the house for most of it. It was three weeks where myself and Steph moved out, moved into an Airbnb, when the really dirty work was getting done, yeah. uh, when the demolition and and the and the replastering and getting uh, when all that really dirty work was getting done. It was it was probably two maybe three weeks uh, that we moved into an Airbnb.
2: Wow, only
1: that was it. And uh, but what it was, wow. it was the dirty work because then we moved back in. And we moved into one room upstairs, and the builders were still going on around downstairs and finishing off upstairs and redoing the bathroom yeah. you know all that was still happening in the back but for the really tough couple of weeks we moved out but we knew it was yeah again, well i suppose
0: that was more feasible than when you were i assume both going into offices nine to five right
1: well that was it yeah 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 so we'd leave us we'd leave at, at 7 38 in the morning we'd come back at whatever time it was probably half six seven o'clock if we came back the other thing was well. Uh, See, Steph was pregnant. So, but I could go to the pub with my friends.
0: So. <laughs> Spent <laughs> so, as much time out of the house as you could. <laughs> generally, yeah, 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 yeah. And what it also okay. meant,
1: what it also meant, was I come back, I see what needs to be doing before I left in the morning. I talk to the builder, have a yeah. chat with what needed to be finished and done, and go to work. Come back again and see what needed to be done. Have a chat with the builder. So it was, it was like a, a daily site inspection to make sure that things yeah. Were the way we want it okay it was all about saving money that's the thing if you're going to do this and a lot of architects do this they'll buy at their absolute top budget move in somewhere and struggle through the construction to make it better and i think that's
0: what everyone's doing now
1: (laughs) yeah yeah we kind of enjoy that as well you know i mean you talk (laughs) to you talk to anybody in, in my office my friends who've done this and that's what they've done
0: yeah There's something sort of glamorous from afar about living in this house with like the stripped plaster and just a mattress. And then you go to these big shiny jobs in the city.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because I was traveling in every morning for seven o'clock to go on a site visit to a new concert hall and theater, which was part forming part of the Barbican Center. Uh, Milton Court, that was my site. No, it wasn't my site, but I was a site architect. So every day I was there for... 10 hours a day
0: wow so, from so, one site to another
1: one site to another yeah now, now the, other okay. one, the other one was spectacular that was like yeah you know, <laughs> mine, mine was
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you got there so yeah. so take us through because I, I do want to get to talking about that. you're you know how you ended up doing this commercial to residential thing in Ireland and, and why you decided to do that and how people can start thinking more that way with a few tips in their back pocket. So you do up the this Victorian
1: yeah, we successfully. Do up the, yeah, we do up the Victorian relatively successfully, enough <laughs> that we can sell it on. Um, yeah. Uh, I then went and got planning permission for an extension out the back and a oh. uh, roof conversion or an attic conversion. So it would go from a two-bed to a three-bed. And you get uh, move the kitchen out the back and you get an extra living space and stuff like that. So I got planning permission for that. Um Again, being the architect, it uh, doesn't cost me anything—only my mm-hmm. time. Um, but what it allowed me to do then was sell the property with, um, with a vision of what it could be. So, although you weren't, although you weren't giving them a three-bedroom house, you were showing them how it could be a three-bedroom house.
0: And you'd done all the legwork for them, so nobody had to think about. Oh, that's too much hassle. It's yeah. already done. That's interesting. Right. Yeah. And would you recommend that to people? Who aren't architects, like to just hire, because what they might pay in in a design fee and some planning consultant to get that done. You know, if you're going to make a hundred grand more in selling that house, that might be worth it, right?
1: I don't know. I don't know if you're going to make a hundred grand, but if it costs (laughs) you, if it costs you 10, yeah, and you get an extra 30, yeah, an extra 20 to sell sell a property with planning permission, because planning permission is is hard to get, it takes time. Not necessarily hard to get, but it takes time. It'll take you nine months to get planning permission or maybe a year wow. to get planning permission, depending on, on the, say, a domestic extension. By the time sure. you engage an architect, go through the design feasibilities and, and options and produce the drawings and put it in for planning and wait for planning to come through, minimum a year.
0: Wow, okay. I I would not have thought it would be that that long. I guess that's why people always... You know, we work around the exemptions.
1: So the planning process alone is four months.
2: Yeah. From the day
1: you lodge it to the day that you get a grant of permission, that's four months. So then you're back to eight months. For an architect to produce a set of drawings, just to produce the drawings to go in for planning, is the guts of a month, maybe six weeks.
2: Yeah.
1: And then you have all that conversation beforehand, where it's a back and forward between the client and the architect. And the longer you can do that, the better results you'll get. Hmm. But okay if so don't
0: to, rush it either
1: don't rush it either and and yeah and especially if you're going to do what i was suggesting there which is to get planner permission and sell it on you want you want to get let the architect do what's best for the building in that condition all right so don't put your personal preferences into the building
2: sure
1: into the extension do what's best for the building because that's what you're trying to sell the best that that house can be
0: and i suppose it's really smart to think of like don't do this when you're ready to sell. Do this a year before. Like, Be really strategic about that. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then you're going and you're saying, right, it's a two-bedroom house in Stony Batter. and it's whatever the value of that is, 350,000 euros. But then you're going and you're saying, yeah, but if you put in whatever, 100 grand, you're now getting a three-bedroom house right? yeah. when you do that, when you want to do it. And this is how you can do that. And I have already done the legwork for you. I have already got new planning permission. So as soon as you can afford, and if you can afford to do it now, as soon as you buy it, while you're trying to sell the old place or while you're transitioning between one property to this property and you renovate it then and you extend it then, that's good for a, for a, for a buyer. Yeah. Already, no, yeah. All of that is already in place.
0: Yeah, that's um, really good.
1: That's what we did in, in in Browns Road in London.
0: And then you moved home
1: don't well, no, actually, we moved home before we told it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we 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 moved back, and we and we we came back in 2014. We we came back. So what was that? See, this is where I feel old again. Eight years ago, in doing that, we came back here, and we did what we did when we went to Hack. We moved to to Finsbury, mm-hmm. and we went right. Is this where we want to live? Do we want to live in Glasshead? Do we want to live in Sunnybatter? Do we want to live further out? Do we want to live on the south side? We thought about. Where in Dublin do we want to live by living in F- in and giving ourselves time to figure out where we wanted to be and either that was North North City or it was South City or it was out in the suburbs or it was out in the country but we decided we wanted we wanted what we were used to and what we were comfortable with which was in yeah. the city
2: living
0: and question well, for you so there seems there's a combination of like trying to guess where the next up and coming area is but. You married it also with your own personal preferences. It wasn't purely like just thinking of the profit. You're also thinking of like where you'd enjoy living. That's also going to be, that's going to give you the best bang for your buck now. And then in the future, it's a combination of both. Is that right?
1: It is. It's a combination of both. Now, look, When we were looking around, there's probably two things. There's, 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 there's people who will want to find a cheap site, develop a building, flip it, move on to the next thing. Mm. and that's a way of doing it all right that's the way of and and it's what we did in london find a property renovate it make a profit off it move on find a property renovate it up your profit move on And bit by bit by bit by bit your your deposit is getting bigger and bigger and bigger yeah or your development fund is getting bigger and And by moving from london to dublin that's a big difference in property values in london yeah and especially when we came back in 2014, when it was, it was still, still a bit of a slump in, in, in yeah. Ireland's economy, people were still didn't have money to be doing this. You know, we, we got in, we timed it well, right? And, and then I know some people would be going, ah, lucky bastard, you know, <laughs> all, all, blah, 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 blah. blah. And, and, and I'm the first to admit that there was an element of luck in it. There was an element yeah. of luck and there was an element of knowing or expecting what was, not knowing, but expecting what was going to happen. Circular or circular economies, they go around and round and there's ups and downs yeah. and there's an up and there's a down. There's and a I
0: up. imagine working as an architect in London, a country like the UK would the, the commercial activity would start bubbling up again faster in in a hub like that. So you, you know what's happening. You're yeah. working on multi-million pound projects. So you're like, All right, I see how things are going, right? Yeah.
1: So so that's a really good point because for example, yeah. when I first went to London, it was it was just before the crash. Right. Yeah, so Ireland crashed first. London took a little bit longer to crash and came down, but then came back mm-hmm. up quicker. I tell the story I was made redundant twice in London from the same company, rehired by the same company the same day twice. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> so it was what a roller coaster! Sorry, sorry, we've no work for you. Walk out the door, different director walks past. You're looking very upset, Green. Oh, yeah, I was just fired. No, you're not. You're working for me now. Back in again, all right, and do that for a <laughs> while and then sorry, Graham. the project you were supposed to work on, we haven't got funding for it yet, we're going to have to let you go. Look, you did me a favour the last time, thanks a million, I'm going to go and have a pint, go over and have a pint. Other director comes in, geez, Graham, you're looking very upset. I uh, The lads had to let me go. No, 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 I'll find something for you to do. All right? So then I do that, all right? and I do that for a while, and then the project that I was originally hired to do, which was the Guildhall School, came online. So then my old boss goes, uh, any chance I could have him back? <laughs>
0: Oh, there's some fun karma in there for sure. <laughs> I see a look, common thread.
1: <laughs> that, that's it. So then I finished that job, and then London was London was gone again. It was the Olympics yeah. actually. It was around the Olympics, so so it was busy, 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 busy. But then you could see that Dublin was simmering there in the background. Steph went and met an old work colleague of hers, and he was director in Henry J Lyons, and they were over visiting. So Steph got a job. I went the exact same. Day to meet them, they offered me a job. Two of us came back, and and their thing was: I have a project here. I don't have enough staff. You have the experience. You want to move back, come back and work for us.
2: Amazing, and, 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 very and, and, neat.
1: And, yeah, very neat. And, and um <laughs> there's a lot of luck involved in it, yeah. but also there's a bit of oh, hard work. And knowing what's going to happen, or well, expecting. Yeah. I won't say nay, no, I keep saying no but expecting what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So you you figured out kind of the areas you wanted to be in based on. You wanted to be in, an, in a hub in the city. You were seeing the neighborhoods that are coming up and gentrifying. Um, so at that point, why didn't you just buy something that needed renovating? Why did you decide to kind of make the leap for this commercial property and all the complexities that brought and, and walk us a little bit through that so people can start thinking like, okay, could this be for me?
1: So we did we did start looking at properties and we said like, Stonyvada has been gentrifying since what, what year did I say I left? Call it 96. This
2: is yeah,
1: 96. <laughs> it's been gentrifying since 96. All right? And it's, it's probably finally, finally there, nearly there. But like, I always love Stonyville, I, I love that part of town. It's close to everything, it's easy to get in there uh, to town. You can walk it, you can cycle it, When you can't get a taxi at night. You can walk home.
2: Yeah, uh, if you want to go <laughs> to the cute. park,
1: it's just down the road. Grange Gorman was just been developed so you know it was going to get better and better and better and i think the fact was it was a village it was a village in it in in the city all right and and, mm-hmm. and again that 10 minute 10 minute neighborhood everything you need was there there was the shops there was clothing shops there was coffee shops there was the schools there was the everything was there so that, that was kind of we were drawn to there pretty quickly that and it was still a bit down at heel and, and it was only inevitably going to come up when they redeveloped ex-council area ex-council Properties of Devony Gardens and others in that area. So it was it was going to improve bit by bit. The first thing was let's go find a house. So we went looking at houses. We had our budget, or we had an idea of what our budget was. If we sold sold in London, we knew what we could get. Couldn't get a mortgage because I had missed payments that I never knew about on a car loan while I was in London.
0: Oh no! So,
1: so that probably what is what set the position for us. We had a budget.
0: Okay out of necessity but you have
1: a budget exactly exactly so we we had whatever we had coming out of london and whatever we had saved in the year or two or year and a half that we were here so we had a budget and we were going around stony batter and philipsborough and glass Nevin and into cabra and all those areas just to see what do they have that's and we were looking at Old Georgians and older houses down in Stony Badder and the newer ones up the top towards Black Horse Avenue, and like we were looking at all these things, and 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 it was all about this is how much we have, all right, and yeah. like how much could we squeeze it, and if we moved in with with one child, what would we do? Like you know, could we could we live here while we renovated it, and blah 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 blah. So it was necessity. Steph, whatever, looking at particular websites for estate agents in the area, spotted this site it was a uh, an old warehouse and a cottage attached which used to be the office for the warehouse and it was tucked in around the back of backland development as they call it in planning terms Mm. it was just that leftover bit of space behind terraces of houses that somebody owns but doesn't really use and bit by bit Mm. somebody put put a yard on it and then put a roof on the yard and then that became a warehouse and it was associated with the original house which then built a little cottage on the side that became an office and then they developed the yard and they developed the shed so when i went in, when i went into this place anyway first of all it was you know this place would be grand we could do something with right it has a floor it has walls it has a room
0: <laughs> we can raise a, uh, i don't know a 3 year old here
1: one of the first ideas we were coming up with was what if we kept all of this took out the, the mezzanine floors took out all the crap that was in there little bits and pieces and then built within it built
0: yeah
2: that individual you tried
0: body. right you tried you to did. do what you could to retain it
1: yeah we we looked at looked at a well, I, we looked at different schemes what we could do is in like you know could we use it and just build inside it or could we drop in elements you know you, you kind of build in your bedroom separately and then within this place you just have your your living area and your kitchen and stuff like that. We tried all these ideas just to see if we could make it work. It never quite worked. It wasn't quite tall enough or it, it was an awkward shape or you were left over with bits and pieces. So, mm. but anyway, that that's the next part of the story. The, the first part of the story is how we went about getting it because yeah, like, you know, we... We found, it, or Steph found it on the website. We went up and we had a look at it. We went, yeah, there's actually something here. There is something we can do with. It. The price was reasonable. It actually left us with a budget to do some something with it. Um, and
0: was the was the cottage livable?
1: The cottage was just about livable, just about.
0: <laughs> I wonder what your definition of livable is
1: now. <laughs> just about livable. Yeah. Now, it, it it had an outhouse and I had no kitchen. Yeah. But
2: that's not livable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> And saying like, you know, we could buy the property, have a bit left over. And that yeah. bit left over meant we could renovate the cottage. yeah, right?
2: okay. And we
1: could renovate the cottage and move in. Or we could renovate the cottage and do what we decided to do, which is renovate it, put a kitchen and bathroom on it and let it. And because this property was awkward, it was triangular site and, and the cottage was detached. They had also tried to go for planning permission on it previously for news houses and couple of houses on it the previous owner had tried to and and it had been refused it had been refused a couple of times along the way so as a result a property developer looking at it would go no there's a planning history here that means it's They're difficult, not gonna for, allow me, that. difficult yeah. for me to develop so i'm going to just wash my hands of this and i don't really want mm-hmm. to go near it we actually came in the position where we had an idea of what we could do with it all right and we weren't trying to do anything extortionate with it we weren't trying to squeeze four one bedroom maisonettes yeah the or anything we were going to build a house and with the experience that i had i could say like if i tick all the boxes in my planning application i should be able to get this i should yeah. be able to get it it's a risk but i should be able to get it so what we did was we made the conscious decision to take the risk Wow, the educated decision to take the risk i'll put it that way all right and five years plus three years, eight years to be a qualified architect plus eight years of experience after that. I think there's an education there that'll help me to to assess the risk. So we said, look, if we bought this house, if we renovated the cottage, turned it into a one-bedroom house, because it was commercial as well, and this is something we'll talk about later on, I think. It's it's part of uh, what we wanted to discuss, which is a uh, change of use. It had commercial use, which meant that whatever we did going for planning, we'd have to get a change of use from commercial to residential.
0: Does that apply for any kind of commercial property? Because I know there's been uh, recent changes about pubs and whatnot.
1: I had a look into this before this conversation.
2: Yeah. It
1: prompted prompted me well because I thought there was an exemption for commercial to residential. And there was up until the end of last year, up until Mm. until December 2021, there was an exemption which was available. Uh, I even had it here. It was called Bringing Back Homes for Reuse of existing buildings, and it was.
0: And did that apply when you bought a it Lane House?
1: Didn't we were before okay. that? We were before okay. that. So it, it came in in 2018, and it was renewed every year up until December 2021. Oh, what a shame! Yeah, yeah, and and there was actually a a, a friend and, a, and an ex colleague of mine. He did it in Enniskerry. He bought an mm. old butcher's in in Enniskerry, and and what it was cool. was if it was. If it was it didn't have to be derelict, but it had to be out of commercial use. It had to be vacant for a certain period of time, maybe it was six months or a year. I think it was sure. only six. And if it was vacant for six months and you could convert it to residential use, it was exempt. So he yeah. went and bought this old butchers in Anuscary and turned it into his family home. And yeah. he did he did that two years ago, three years ago maybe.
0: Okay. So oh. that's since expired. So and people expired. now would have to do the same thing that you you and Steph did except i think though there is a thing specifically for pubs right pubs
2: the pubs which is hilarious
0: of course pubs are still allowed yeah you can find an old pub in Offaly, (laughs) you can build a giant home
1: (laughs) you can can build a giant home but the thing about that one is that took over from the resident from the commercial from retail right so they Mm. they They identified there's a gap in the market for all these pubs in, as you said, Offaly or West Clare or, you know, all these places where where the pubs have been shut down, where the license has expired. And what often happens is the license is sold. So there might be a pub down in Kilshamoff, which isn't trading very well, but they have a license. They can sell that license and they can sell that license Mm. to a hotel, which is opening, or they can sell it to another property that wants to, wants a a restaurant that wants a retail or a, a bar license or specifically a bar license rather than a drinks license, you know? So, so this often happens and you'll see it in, You'll see it in uh, licensing hearings for various new hotels and new developments where.
0: Oh, so they sell the license because that's much more valuable. So then the premises are left without the license, so they're worthless to an, a, a future to a Wetherspoon. <laughs> yeah,
1: they're worthless to a Wetherspoons because they don't have. the license. Yeah, the the thing that you could probably do straight away, and I'm not going to I'm not going to say I'm, a, I'm a, an expert on this, but you could probably convert that pub to to retail, so you could put a shop into it,
2: for mm. example.
1: I am saying probably because I haven't researched it proper, properly, but I I'd, yeah. I'd say it's reasonable to because it's a reasonable change of use. So but again, in these villages and towns in rural Ireland or, or semi-rural Ireland, there's no market for another shop. There's only so many yeah. coffee shops you can have uh, or tea shops you can have, or and and all the other types of retail are generally struggling, which is your your old school clothes mm-hmm. shops and stuff like that. They're all struggling. So you have all these pubs which are generally fine buildings, big buildings, tall height, tall floor to ceiling heights. It would have been traditionally pub at the bottom, residential above. You lived and worked in the same building. So yeah. conversion would be relatively easy. Yeah. So they brought in the exemption that you were talking about earlier on. So okay. if, if it okay, doesn't have a license, sense. yeah, if it doesn't have a license and it hasn't been used in a certain period of time, you can convert it to residential.
0: Yeah. Okay. But let's talk about the non-pub category. So and this is what you did with Cole Lane House. So were you familiar with the process? And can you can you tell us a little bit more about like how that works? Because you need Uh, planning in order to convert the change of use. Are they two different processes? Talk us through it.
1: No, once you once you get planning permission, you you automatically get your change of use. All right. So
0: okay. It's one in the same.
1: Yeah. So in planning terms, when you go to your local authority or you look at your local authority website. The development plan is what you should be looking for. And in the development plan, it will describe to you what uses are permitted on your site. You go into your development plan, you go into your appendices, and there's a set of maps. And in that map, in those, those maps, you'll find your property. And on that property, there'll be a color. And that color will have a designation, Z, whatever it might be. And that designation will then have a list of what you can put on that site. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it'll have a it'll have a fairly generalized descriptive list. And there's permitted okay. development, which will list if you go for this, you should get planning permission if it's reasonable. And then there's open to it's, it's 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 an open category. So you may get this. And other than the very, very central core of Dublin and the very, very central cores of the major cities, most zoning is open. You can you can probably do anything if you can convince the planners that it's beneficial to what's there. Okay. To, to, to activating the time, okay. right?
0: And what, what applied in the case of your site?
1: In our case, it was actually zoned residential.
0: Okay. It was commercial oh. use
1: on it. Yeah, there was commercial use on it, but it was zoned residential.
0: This is, I think I've seen these maps. It's like incredibly difficult to use and there's like lots of lime green and you click on it and it doesn't work very well. It, yeah. that's, the, that's, that's the zoning. The, so that's different jittery. from the change of use.
1: Yeah. So the change of use then is, so, it's a commercial use. A commercial use assigned with, or sorry, there's a commercial use associated with the sites, the two sites. I say the cottage and the and the warehouse. So there's commercial use there. But once you go and you get and you apply for planning permission, you're granted planning permission to change it from commercial to residential. That's your change of use process, right? But you have to get planning permission to do that, unless it's your bar. There is other ones where uh, there's, there's various other exempted developments, but. Generally, for commercial to residential, you are looking at a change of use application.
0: If anyone's trying to do anything beyond the the exempted planning permission, like an extension, this isn't going to be that different of a process. It's just you might have to do a little bit more due diligence and hire certain people. But either way, you're going to need to have an architect draw plans. So people shouldn't see this as like a whole extra step. It's the same process, just a little different.
1: Right. It's just a little different, yeah. yeah. It, it'll take a little bit more time. It's when you're trying to purchase it, you'll need to just be happy that you're satisfied that you can get planning permission for it. Right?
0: Mm. So, so it could be a good idea to consult with a planning consulting company and have or a chat, an architect.
1: Have a chat with an architect, have a chat with a planning consultant, have a chat with a member of the Royal or of the Chartered Institute of mm-hmm. uh, Surveyors, uh, the RICS or the... Oilins, she was a child of or the
0: Okay, so this is a key step.
1: There's, loads, there's, there's a few of them there, but you need to talk to you need to talk to a construction professional who will be able to advise you yeah, as to okay. whether this is a risk or not. And then you have to weigh up that risk. Now, what you can do is you can purchase a property subject to planning permission. Yeah. And so you could go and you could put your deposit down on a a, a refundable deposit down on a on a commercial site commercial property. Subject to you getting planning permission for a change of use, so that de risks it, but it just adds time. Because what you need to do then is you need to go and get permission for a change of use, you need to go through that process, you need to get your granted permission, then you need to come out the the other end of it. Now, okay, you don't necessarily need to fully design everything.
0: That was my next question. Yeah, you,
1: you just need to get it across the line, so you need to put in something nice and simple. That will get you that change use designation that then if it's not what you want, you can go again. You can go for planning as many times as you like.
0: Okay. You just know the bare minimum of what will be accepted. So if you talk to a planning consultant and they're like, yeah, I have a pretty good idea of what we can get through. They get through like the plainest bungalow in the world. And then you're like, yeah, but I'm going to build like an upside down pyramid. And you can you can try for that act.
1: You can try for that next. Whether you get it or not is a different thing. It'll have to be a very, very nice upside-down pyramid. But, of
0: course, but then you, know, you have time. Then you've bought the house and you know I like this is no longer a risk. Uh, yeah. now I can work within the parameters and take my time to to build something.
1: The other thing then that happens is you don't have planning permission. Well, you have planning permission to change it from commercial yeah. to residential. And as I said there, you can make as many applications as you want. But once you have planning permission, you have two things in place. You still have commercial use designation for it. Okay. So say you've bought a shop and that shop is a retail shop and it's not trading particularly well. It's been closed for six months. You buy it subject to planning permission. You get planning permission for it. You have that planning permission for residential use in your back pocket, but it's still established use as retail. So huh. You might decide, you know what? I don't really want to live here, but I could make an income out of it and somebody will come in and open a coffee shop and you'll okay. get a rent out of it. right? Hmm. It doesn't, just because you get planning permission, it doesn't extinguish what's already there. It just until gives you- Until
0: you, you actually move forward with the plants.
1: Until you move forward with them. Okay. Then you change it and then you extinguish the established
0: use. Okay. And I suppose going back to what we discussed before, Let's say you do all that and you're like, you know what? It's not for me. I don't have it in me to do this whole project. You could sell it with that planning permission.
1: You can sell it with the planning permission yeah. or you could sell it as the established use.
0: Yeah, cool. Now, your planning okay. permission
1: has a lifetime of uh, five years. I think it is.
0: Five years. Maybe and three. so, sorry, when you apply for that change of use, you do have to submit drawings of what you might do. They're still full plans, right? The,
1: that I don't know and I need to check. Sometimes you can get yeah. away with or be described as outline permission. So, outline okay. permission would be a general description of what it is that you that you intend to do. So, it's a set of plans that says change of use from this to this, and if yeah. you can get outline permission for that, I'm not a hundred percent sure whether you can do that for a change of use. I know you can do yeah. it for, you know, or, uh, sur- um, rural housing. You can put in an outline permission for. I want to put a house in this field. I'm not going to tell you what that house is going to look like. I'm just going to say I'm going to put a house here in a septic tank. And that gives you outline permission. And then you have to go and get subsequent planning permission to, to establish what that design will be. All right.
2: Yeah. No, okay. It's it's,
1: it's 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 basically establishing in theory that you can put a house there. Or
2: yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I, I'd, I'd need to check now if you can do that for change of use. I'm not sure, but it's it's something we can do in the next podcast. <laughs> about.
0: Yeah. Okay, so okay. then you you move forward with that, and did you get it? That the, the first attempt, the first application uh, uh, for the house.
1: First, yeah, first application, yeah. we got it. It was it was swings about ups and downs, and uh, negotiations and other bits and pieces. But we we went in for what we wanted. Actually, the first thing we did was we went in for extension and change of use of the
0: the warehouse of the,
1: way, of the cottage. Sorry, of, of the, the cottage.
0: cottage. Okay.
1: And this and this again comes back to taking that educated guess and, and, and educated analysis of the risk. So what we said was, if we convert this cottage to a house, the value of that house will be X. And X is equal to the amount of money that we spent to buy the cottage and the site. Mm-hmm. So if we take Y, which is what we spent on the site, add Z, which is the renovation costs, that will equal X. So no matter what happens with the warehouse, we can sell that cottage with planning permission. Yeah. And we have our money back.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah. And you know question that? when you can get partial change of use?
1: Yeah, you can you can split a site.
2: Uh, okay. This was a bit
1: easier than that it was two sites. It was it was it was two sites technically. Okay. Technically it was two sites. It was one property. Okay. It was two sites. It was, it was split with, with, a, with another house in between or backyard with another house in between. There's
0: so many nuances. Like there's uh, the general zoning for an area, which is different from the use that has been allowed for that specific property. And then there's sites within that and things can be broken up. Like yeah. you always see, you know, basement flats that are rented and retail above and, or, you know, the opposite interesting okay so it seems like people if this is something people are exploring as an alternate avenue to out of necessity they really should be reaching out to experts you know like you said a chartered construction professional somebody who works in planning uh, consulting as soon as they can so that they even know whether it's worth it to pursue these properties
1: definitely because don't forget these people do this day in day out it's how they make their money it's yeah. how they it's how they make their money to pay their insurance to make sure if they get it wrong that when they get sued, somebody else will pay for that mistake. But like they do this day in, day out, and this is what their their expertise is. It could be something as simple as a fixed fee to an architect to spend a day on it or yeah. two days on it. And and go in and say, look, if they aren't busy, they'll they'll look to do, they'll, they they might take it up, or somebody might take it up. Or just that just that initial days research for you, a certain amount of Time paid by the hour. There you go. This is our opinion on this. Yeah, barking up, you're barking up the wrong tree, or or it's something to explore.
0: Yeah, I've found people are very willing to help, and even some people won't charge at all for initial thoughts because obviously it's just rolls off their their tongue. Like we've been looking at a at a property, and I think people need to slow down. The process of of buying is. Pretty fast because things get so aggressive in the bidding wars. But if people take the time to slow down and actually do due diligence and have contacts and recommendations ready to reach out to them, they could benefit a lot from figuring out what really are the options, what are the true costs of renovating, what are the real planning permissions they need to seek. And I think people need to, if they're approaching a purchase, should get creative and pull in experts because it's Mm -hmm. invaluable. And we can see that you, you and Steph were experts. And you could see these things that other people can't.
1: Yeah. And it also meant that, you know, where I was doing my X, Y, Z. Yeah. Monetary value. It means that you can go bidding war on a property and you go in there, right? And it's aggressive, 1,000 euro every day, 2,000 euro. Somebody throws Mm -hmm. five in because they wanted it. And it's getting silly and the money is getting way up there. If you have, during that process, taken a little bit of time to say, and to figure out, this is how much I can afford. This is how much I will need to spend after. Speak to somebody, either have somebody that you can call as a friend, or that somebody that you have a retainer with that you can kind of. And when I say a retainer, it's like, you know, I need a bit of advice every so often and just keep an eye on it. We we'll give you a few quid whenever it might be. But what it means is while all this process is going on, you you'll have a better idea of where your limit is. And sometimes what happens is people go beyond their limit. In this aggressive, like not mm-hmm. say 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 I'm in this process, but the person who's bidding against me, goes beyond their limit, and then all of a sudden they're going. Actually, I can't afford this, so then they pull out, and then the, the seller is left there going, oh, what the hell am I going to do now? And that's where you get the phone call. You're still interested, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it's 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 been able to go to the uh, to the estate agent and go. I've done my due diligence on this. I've spoken to an architect. This is how high I can go. You might yeah. have another five or 10 grand sitting there. But like you say, this is, this is as far as I can go. I can't go any higher than this, right? Because it doesn't make, any, it doesn't make financial sense. And then when the, the agent gets the phone call, oh, sorry, we can't afford this actually. So we're going to have to pull it, yeah. out.
0: Yeah, somebody figured out after the heat of the bidding war that it, it yeah. doesn't make sense. <laughs> and, then,
1: and then the estate agent goes, now, there was that lady who rang me. And told me that she'd done a bit more due diligence i don't know give her a ring and Then the estate agent rings. You still yeah. Interested? yeah but for that amount all right yeah I'll, I'll just have a chat with my client on it and then it's like oh yeah no they packed it. but i do have this other person who was in that process and who seems more reliable and more likely to buy it and if they're if they're in a rush to get rid of it that's when you have
0: yeah that's when you hand. have
1: a little bit of openness
0: I love that, and we're going to have to close on that note. I could keep talking about this forever, and that uh, we may have to have another conversation about the details of building Cole Lane House, maybe with Steph as well, because um, I want to hear a little bit more about the design and and all of that. But I think we've learned a lot about how to think differently. You know, more just than we, we've gone beyond the scope of just looking at commercial and change of use, more about how to approach property buying in a more strategic way to allow you to have plans for your next two three purchases rather than just looking at one house and getting stuck on it and maybe bidding too much and then kind of being stuck with a property that is not worth what you paid for yeah, um, no, so I, worth, I like yeah
1: not, not worth what it's paid for and then all of yeah. a sudden another crash comes along and everybody's 50% 50% of the value that you paid for you know so
0: yeah so, so we've kind just, of explored two property experts own buying journeys and what you can learn from that for your own to be more sensible and get expert advice if you don't have it in your own head and you know how to make it work and how to approach renovations and phases and and have a think about where you you ultimately want to be and move close move around it
1: <laughs> get as close um, as get as close as you can to where you want to yeah
0: be. yeah um, and not being so obsessed i suppose with the name or the zip code if like you said it's crossing a train tracker Or something else, and you're you're in that place. As long as you can spend time in the places you want to be, and that is more important than than a zip code or the name of a town. So I love that. Thank you so much for coming on and having all these conversations with me. I feel like there's so many other threads we could we can go down uh, that we're gonna have to pick another busy day of yours to to interrupt. So thank you so much, Graham. And Yeah, I'm excited to see what you do next now. What's going to happen next? (laughs) I
1: can't afford to do anything now. I'm paying paying off a mortgage.
0: (laughs) You stopped missing car loans, so you got a mortgage. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, I paid yeah, yeah. I came out I came out the right side of being on the blacklist for the uh, for all of these companies. So, yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for that. Really inspirational and helpful and um, always good to get tips from from experts. People are nearing these very stressful times. So thanks so much, Kareem, and talk again soon. Thank you for tuning in to the Interiors Podcast. To learn more about our guests or anything we mentioned today. Please refer back to the show notes. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Interiors Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast today, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a review on whatever platform you're listening in on and sharing the podcast with your family and friends. Until next time.